0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Uh, Good morning, my name's Marty, Recovering Sexaholic. Hey, Marty. All right, to start with, we got some uh, administrative here. This is a live streaming meeting. This meeting is being live-streamed, audio-only, over the World Wide Web. If you do not wish to participate in the live stream, you're welcome to remain silent. If you choose to share or ask a question, we ask that uh, you sit in a designated chair in front of the microphone. And actually, I believe we're doing the uh, the ask it basket today. Um, it won't be a share. Um, please don't touch any microphones or any of the audio equipment to all of those of you who are here. We thank you for helping us to carry the message to those who would otherwise never enjoy a convention experience. And welcome to this session on fear. Any you got? Any you guys uh, got fear? Um, <laughs> so the the topic is fear, surrender, inventory, and recovery. Um, my name is Marty. I am a recovering sexaholic. Uh and we have uh, Dave H. here with us also, and uh, I'll be facilitating this session. Um, Marty Sexahawk, been sexually sober since 4th of July 2012, and uh, I'll let Dave introduce himself here. Each of us will share uh, our recovery on this topic, then we'll take time to answer questions. Questions will be taken from the Ask It basket, which the uh, note cards are right up here with pens. Please return the pens if you would. Um if you wish to participate, write your question and place it on the on the table up here, and we'll uh, sort through those and ask those. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this is a recorded session also. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask you to please silence all cell phones and pagers. Let's open with the serenity prayer, please. Prayer. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. All right. The essay purpose, Sexholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and to help others to achieve sexual sobriety. All right. Um, so uh, our topic today is uh, is on fear, and uh, I've got plenty of experience with that. <laughs> um, you know, first of all, I'll start off with uh, I used to think I wasn't scared. You know, everybody's seen the hat, right? Ain't scared. Um, what I know about me is when I'm wearing that hat. I'm terrified inside. And I like what uh, the speaker shared yesterday uh, at dinner, that you know it comes down to, you know, or no, it wasn't at uh, dinner. It was uh, uh, in one of the other sessions talking about the activations of, of my defects. The choices that I make in life come down to either I'm acting either out of love or out of fear. And uh, when I'm acting out of fear, there's all sorts of destruction going on. Um, and so, uh, on page 65 of the, of the big book, uh, it's interesting that as you go through the lists of, of the resentments, they, Bill Wilson decided to bracket the word fear. Um, and, uh, he called it the evil corroding thread that goes through everything. Well, when my first sponsor had me do uh, my fear inventory, I couldn't come up with anything. I was like, well, I'm not scared of dying. I'm not scared of spiders, snakes, you know, all of these things. And, and I tell you what, it drove him bananas. Maybe it kept him sober, I don't know, uh, trying to help me see where I was afraid. And finally, you know, in the book where it, where it talks about we're driven by a hundred forms of fear, Finally, he's like, "Well, what do you worry about?" I was like, "Oh, I got some of those." Yeah, you know? he's like, "All right, so go write those down, and and when you when you're done with that list, call me back." And uh, and so I start uh, start. Okay, what do I worry about? Well, I worry about my kids doing well at school. I worry about the, and all of a sudden it just kind of starts flowing, and. Uh, you know my my inability to make a list turned into four pages of two columns of worries, <laughs> and uh, so I'm I'm kind of proud of myself. I'm gonna call my sponsor back. I'm gonna read them all. I got a good list, right? I'm, I do good step work, and so I start reading my list. It's so rude. He, he interrupted me, and I wasn't even halfway through the first column. He says, "Oh my gosh, Marty, you're a performer." oh, no, I'm that guy, right? And I'm afraid of what everybody was thinking about me. I was afraid of what everybody, what, what was going on in your head about me. And then all of a sudden I was kind of terrified because now there was some light on it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've discovered that I have more fears than just those today. I have mostly Fears about things not going my way, or things not lining up with my plans and schemes, and so I've got a I've got a story that uh, um, it really it's a it's a fresh story. Uh, it was just over Christmas here, and um, so a couple of years back, right as I was doing the fear inventory with my sponsor, um, for this well, was a new sponsor. New uh, new inventory with him, and we're going through it. And um, and we'd been talking about where the change in attitude happens. Where my higher power, who is infinite, who is all knowing, who is all powerful, who has my best interests at heart, is in charge of the outcome instead of the finite self. When the finite self is in charge of the outcome. There's plenty of reason to be terrified. I've got lots of data to back that up. Um, on the other hand, uh, the experience of depending on infinite God, my my data is much that my data set is much smaller, and so um, so my sponsor taught me to ask like, okay, God, this isn't what I planned where are you working in this? How can I join you in what you're doing? And, uh, you know, the inventory is, is laid out in the big book. Um, lots of people have different ways of, of seeing it, but the experience of doing it um, is much different. Uh, I was sharing with somebody before the meeting, something that we read in our meetings um, when we're doing literature studies and, The aim is to hear about a person's experience in doing what is being read about rather than his opinion on it. So, what I want to do is just share an experience with this. Um, number of years back, I was, uh, uh, my job requires me to travel regularly and, uh, as part of a, a crew. And, um, pretty much when I'm, when I'm working, They can call me and send me anywhere in the world with only three hours' notice, Uh, and it happens to be two days before Christmas. And I get the call, and it's time to go to work. Um, And I was a mess. I lost it. I was raging at my children, raging at my wife. You know, I was supposed to be helping them buy gifts for Christmas for mom and siblings, and I hadn't done that yet, and. Uh, tempting to shame them for not doing what I told them I was selfish and self-centered um, And oh, by the way, I'd already been paid for this work I was asking, being asked to do So I didn't really have a reason not to go <laughs> um, So there I am and, I, and then I hear my sponsor's voice in my head And I'm like, oh boy So I right, tend to pray going to my room. I'm praying, God, help me to be who you would have me to be. Show me where you're working today and how to join you in that. And you know, I'm in the shower getting ready to go to work and I'm crying in the shower. It's like, this isn't what I planned for Christmas. And so uh, then something changes as I pray that prayer of like, okay, what are you doing, God? Um, so take off, go to work, and I'm working with uh, uh, a female co-worker, and uh, we're on our way, and she starts this monologue about God and how wrong God is, and there's a problem with men, and blah, blah, and my old way was probably to take the newspaper out and kind of hold it up in between us like a screen, and yeah, but something prompted me. I know the spiritual experience prompted me to put that paper down and say something as simple as, that's not right. And all of a sudden, this woman's story, who I'd never met before, I've never seen her since, starts to unravel. A story of a father who abused her. A story of where you know she had had two more... Uh, relationships with men expecting to get married and finding out that they were married already. Sounds like she was finding some sexaholics. Um, and and all I can say to her is, that's not okay. That's not right. And, um, and I'm pretty sure she had never told other people this stuff. Um, and it was kind of disarming to me. Um, her story was tragic and sad. And all I got to do was listen. And then at the end of the trip, say, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, Come to find out, get where we're going. And the company had changed my work schedule. And they're like, you're going back day after tomorrow, or going back tomorrow. So I was going to fly home now Christmas Eve and get home Christmas morning. Um, What an amazing change, right? And uh, so I'm sitting in the airport. And I'm waiting to get on the flight and this woman with this cute little baby is sitting there. And I was like, I was talking to her about the baby and she says, Oh, well, thank you. He used to be a twin. Oh, like a sucker punch. Like, Oh my gosh. I have, I have twin boys. Uh, two of my four kids are my twin boys. And, uh, um, you know, and all of a sudden, I'm struck with the reality that this little little boy, when he grows up, is going to be with his parents every Christmas and not know why parents and grandparents are experiencing all this sadness for the loss of someone that he didn't even know. Um, and then she apologizes for making me say I was sad. I was like, no, thank you for sharing that. Um, this wasn't my plan for christmas right and here's what I, here's what I'm getting um, you know couldn't couldn't change that for couldn't make it any better, but I got the gift of a perspective there and so Christmas morning, I land back in my home city uh, at five a m go home, crawl in bed, wake up, and get to experience the Christmas with the rest of my family um Amazing gift there of, you know, my plan and scheme had me staying home, doing all this shopping, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And instead, God had for me a gift of perspective that I would have never chosen for myself. And um, so fast forward, um, the 23rd of December, this past Christmas, I get a phone call. And it's work, saying, time to go to work. And inside, my heart kind of leapt a little, like, okay, wow, what what's God doing here? I don't know. Now, my daughters and my wife started crying immediately. <laughs> and I'm glad because that means they miss me now. Instead of being glad to get rid of me at Christmas, <laughs> they're actually glad I'm there. And uh, and again, you know, God made it work out such that I was back home for Christmas, uh, but being open to God's plan instead of being afraid that my plan is not going to work out or not going to come to f- fruition, freed me from the, the disturbance that I always previously would experience. And so you know that the the fear inventory is one that helps me to see God's plan instead of mine. The, the fear inventory is one that leads me to depend on a power that's greater than myself, in fact, infinitely more powerful than myself. And uh, that is a gift that equals freedom. The, the gift of freedom, the lightness, the, the comfort, no matter what comes up in my path, is one that i could have never discovered on my own apart from working the steps under the direction of my sponsor and having the spiritual experience that comes as a result of the 12th step (laughs) having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps um so uh that's my experience in the in the fear inventory and uh Uh, or just one of them. I've got more, but uh, I'm gonna uh, go ahead and pass here and let Dave uh, come share with you. Thanks Marty.
2: Hi everybody, I'm Dave. I'm a recovering sexaholic. I've been sexually sober since August 1st, 1985. Um, something for which I am frequently but never sufficiently grateful. Um, it's really good to be here today, um, in my home city of thirty-two years. And when I mo- when I moved here uh, to Nashville in nineteen eighty-eight, there were two meetings in Nashville. One on Thursday night at uh, seven, and one on Saturday afternoon at. Uh, I think it was at five or five thirty, and uh, you know we're now the the central offices here in Nashville, and we have hundreds of meetings. Um, you know the the church, my home meeting um, is on Tuesday nights in Franklin, and and uh, that meeting got started in 1990, and uh, you know we now have seven meetings a week at that church, and. Uh, um, After a very rousing speech years ago by uh, Mike C., who's here uh, at the conference, I think he's going to be speaking tonight. Um, We got encouraged to uh, form our own inner group, and so we have an inner group in Williamson County, which is south of uh, Nashville. And you know, when I moved here, um, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I had met my sponsor at a conference. in 1986 in St. Louis, and uh, so these, these uh, conferences are really special to me. We had our first one in 1990 here in January, so this is the 30th anniversary of conferences in Nashville, and uh, we had one 20 years ago where we won a really important football game, um, but we won't go into that. Uh, from you, you, those of you who may be from Western New York, I w- thats where I started in 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 recovery. Was in Rochester, New York, in 1985. So, um, so the topic is fear, and uh, because I'm a fearful person, I wrote down all the things that make me f- frightened. Well, you know the you know what I've learned about fear is uh, fear is is the trigger for all of my character defects. And, you know, this program, you know, we talk about sobriety, but, you know, um, it's not, you know, we can be sober and not well. You know, our our Big Big says we can be sober but not well. Um, Until we work on our character defects, um, you know, we don't try, you know, we don't achieve any level of of freedom and happiness. And um, so I wrote down... Uh, this is something that I pray pray about every day. Um, I pray about all the things you know that fear is the is the, is is my core defect, and it triggers my lust, it triggers my anger, it triggers my judgmental spirit, it triggers my people pleasing, my pride, my gossip. My dishonesty, my delusion that a job title or a success at work will make me happy. My feeling that I'm not enough as a father, a brother, a husband. My comparing myself with others. My cursing tirades when I really get pissed off. And my envy. I just added envy recently. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't suggest this for all of you, but it only took me about 24 years in this program to do a daily 10-step inventory. <clears throat> and, I, and I started doing that because I was in crisis. And um, isn't that, you know, most of us are only going to work about as hard as we need to work, right? <laughs> Be honest. And so I was in crisis. Um, it, this was 2009. Um, I'd worked for a fortune number one. It, most of my career, this company had been fortune number one. I'd, I'd worked for them for 35 years. I had a 10-year-old and a, a 9-year-old. I was 57. And my company went bankrupt. It was in all the papers. Um, Our chairman of the board got fired by the president of the United States. And um, this plan that I had to, you know, I had, up until that time, led a pretty idyllic life. I I remarried uh, when I was 44. I had my first child when I was 47, uh, I didn't think any of that was going to happen in my life. And I, all of that happened because of this program. And so here I was, and uh, I was scared to death. And um, for the, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'm not a saint. You know, we, we one of the things I love about uh, Chapter 5 in the big book is None of us have ever maintained anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. I love that line. Um, I'm not a saint. I keep most of my essay reading material in the bathroom. I know I'm going to be there at least once a day. And um, so I do some readings every day. And um, I I read um, Step Into Action, Uh, If I'm working with a sponsee, I'm I'm focusing on the steps where that that particular sponsee is working. Right now, I'm doing one, two, and three. Um, After this guy asked me to be a sponsor about three months ago, I haven't seen him since, but I'm still working with steps one, two, and three, (laughs) uh, because I know that's what I need to do. Um, I have a forgetting disease. You know, I can forget that, you know, I need to be here. <laughs> um, you know, I've been doing this for going on 35 years. It hasn't gone away. You know, my disease has not gone away. It's gotten better, um, but it's always with me. And so for the 15th time, probably, I'd read in step 10, in Step Into Action, find a time of day that works for you to do your tenth step inventory, yeah. If if you read uh, the version in the in the big book, it says at the end of the day. Okay, well, I ruled that out about thirty five years ago because at the end of the day, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, I get up at four o'clock in the morning, and uh, and when I turn out the lights at nine thirty, I'm pooped, and uh, so it. I finally. Solve that line. Find a time of the day. And it occurred to me, I could do a 10-step inventory at lunchtime. And my my company has gone bankrupt. I've been told by my boss, you're going to have to retire. And I couldn't retire. I had a 9-year-old and a 10-year-old. And um, so I went to the I went to the uh, stationary cabinet at work. I don't advise you stealing from your company, which is what I did. Um, but it turned out, you know, when the company finally went under, w- w- there were so many office supplies that I, I did. Yeah, it lessened my guilt, but I did steal a steno pad. You know, the the one that the stenographers, you know. Does anybody do stenography anymore? You know, we type our own letters now. But secretaries used to do that, and it. There was a steno pad; it's perfect size because I could put it in my briefcase. Also, in that in that tenth step, it uh, it talked about keeping it simple. What a concept! I make this program way more complicated than it needs to be. It's it's really simple. It said, talk about your lust hits. In the previous 24 hours. Talk about things that you did right. Because an inventory where you don't consider the assets and the, and the, the bad things. What's the? Liabilities. Liabilities. There you go. Um, is an incomplete inventory. So you got to do the, the highs and the lows. So, you know, the, on any given day, my, my typical highs are I exercised, I exercised, I prayed, I read something out of, from, from uh, um, our literature, or, or essay-approved literature. I do a daily devotion, which I just started doing because my youngest uh, just went off to college. So, um, you know, up until that time, my devotion in the morning was spending time with my kids as they were getting ready for school, and they're both grown and gone now. Which makes me sad, but uh, I, I've enjoyed getting back to do doing my my devotion, of my of my spiritual tradition. I I meditate on my way to work. Um, I'm I'm really challenged about that. Uh, uh, listening to my sponsor talk about meditation yesterday <laughs> to do more. I've tried to do more, but I've 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 had difficulty sticking with that. Uh, but I've been been meditating. Uh, this way for for a long time and my meditation is generally around the phrase that I'm a beloved child of God because you know when my one of my character defects is that I'm not enough and, um, and and that's one that I struggle with and so reminding myself that I'm a beloved child of God uh, helps me and um, sometimes I can visualize that God wrapping his arms around me um, So, um, I did that first inventory um, somewhere around September. So, uh, I was told that I had to uh, retire. Uh, The retirement date was September the 30th. And uh, another company was going to buy us. And uh, I thought there was going to be a chance that... uh, I was going to be hired on by this company, but I was told pretty firmly that that wasn't going to be happening, but there was maybe a good opportunity that after the sale, I would get hired back. So I had some hope, but I started looking for a job. And uh, so I wrote that first inventory. I was scared to death. And, um, you know, it talks about the... My lust hits, my highs, my lows, the things that I struggled with. And that was really important for me because, you know, I got, I got pretty irritable. I was scared to death. You know, how am I going to take care of my family? You know, my, my pens- I did get a pension. I did get health care. Um, you know, I was doing better than a lot of guys. Uh, you know, I knew somebody that was within 25 days of qualifying for a pension, and they wouldn't give it to him and uh, I had time but I didn't have the aid so but they you know I, I got a very fair package so I was I started the beginning of September I'm supposed to retire September the 30th on, on September the 30th I'm, I'm, I'm praying on my way to work which is you know something that I've done uh, for a long time is turn the radio off and pray I had about a 25 minute commute and that's something that was just real easy for me to do and and I'm praying that morning, if this be your will. And um so I went in and I signed my retirement papers. And uh um I was in no hurry to leave. i i I'd, I'd been contacted about a job opportunity, but I didn't have a job lined up. And so I wasn't in any big hurry to leave. And I said, if this be your will, God, um, you know, um, I I know that you're not going to drop me. Uh, You've brought me this far. I know that you're not going to drop me. And uh, so I just kind of took my time, and it's about uh, 3.30, and I'm cleaning out my desk. And uh, by that time, pretty much the only people that were there were the 45 or so people that were going to be carried over to the new company. And, uh, And I was just taking my time, cleaning out my desk, and... And a guy walks by my desk and says, hey, we need you in a conference room. And I said, you know, what for? You know I'm I'm not staying, right? He goes, uh, you know, the boss said you needed to be there. And uh, so he pulled all the people that were into the room that were left. I was the only, all the other retirees had gone. And uh, the boss uh, stood up and said, uh, the deal's off. And I said, what did you say? He said, the deal's off. The deal fell through. Um, we're not being sold. Um, your retirement's been canceled. Well, actually, he didn't say that. He said, you know, I followed him out of the office, out of the conference room. I said, am I still retired? And, and he said, I don't know. And I, I got back to my desk and I called my wife and I said, you're not going to believe what just happened. And as I was on the phone, he, he popped his head around the, my cube and said, uh, yeah, your retirement's been canceled. You know, report to work. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm coming in tomorrow anyway. I want to see what was going on. <laughs> and uh, so I came back to work, and uh, ultimately, um, I got a job. Uh, I was given the option of staying with this company or taking the retirement package and, uh, and leaving and um, I I decided that the safest thing for me to do was to take my retirement package and and go with this new job. Well, the new job was a forty mile commute. Um, took me almost an hour to get there. Uh, it, you basically can't get there from here. And uh, um, I spent the uh, <laughs> first thing I noticed upon what. You know, so I retired on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and my first day on my new job was the Monday after. And I, I drove out into the hinterlands to this, to this location, start, started my new job, and the first thing I noticed is the guy that was training me is sitting there with his jacket on, and he's wearing gloves, and the fingers are cut out of his gloves. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, What's going on here? Maybe, maybe it's an ergonomic thing, you know, and he's, he's got carpal tunnel or something. And, um, and then it, it occurred to me, man, it's cold in here. And I, I said that out loud. He said, yeah, they don't heat the place. Um, this was a foreign company that has a real reputation for being very frugal. <laughs> so it's, it's December in Tennessee, and, you know, it doesn't get real cold here, but it was probably less than 40 degrees outside. And uh, everybody, I look around, and people are covered with blankets, and they're wearing jackets.
1: <laughs>
2: and I said, "What have I got myself into here?" Um, my sponsor got a, a phone call for me for three solid weeks, just about every night, with me crying. What have I done? Has God dropped me? And he said, try to make it to Christmas. This was December 1st. He said, try to make it to Christmas. So I, I started wearing flannel, I, I started wearing wool socks. <laughs> I went to the uh, outdoor store and got those heaters that hunters wear, you know, and stuck them down my socks. I wore, in Alaska. Just like Alaska. Wore my jacket. And uh, I made it to Christmas, and uh, every day I wanted to drive to my old workplace, because they were still operating. I could have taken the risk of, of, of keeping, that, keeping that job to see what was going to happen. Ultimately, the 45 people got whittled down to six, and uh, they ended up hang, hanging on to those six. Cause, so I, I could have been one of those people, but as it turns out, over the holidays, it occurred to me, you know, I've got, uh, I've got some experience with this heating, air conditioning stuff, because I worked in a, in a group in my company that did that. And, and I my first day back to work, I went to the receptionist. I said, who's the plant engineer? And she told me the guy's name, and I called him. And I said, hey, what, what's the set point? And I'm, I'm in the purchasing office, and what's the set point? And he said, "That's oh, 68. And I said, you know, i got a thermometer at my desk that says it's 62. He goes, I'll send somebody over. This guy shows up at my desk, a technician from the plant. I'm in a manufacturing business. Guy's got short sleeves on. He goes, man, it's cold in here. He goes, let me check out the thermostats. He comes back. You know, this been go- Mind you, this has been going on for years at this company. This had been going on for years. He comes back to me about a half hour later and said, All the thermostats are broken. I'll fix them. You know, within a couple of days, it was like 75 in there, right? (laughs) So, um, fear has taught me a lot of things. Um, After six months on that job, I I got a job um, six miles or three miles from my house. And I've been there for 10 years. so God didn't drop me. Um I had a I had a little little hiccup there but uh we made it through and it, it, you know it hasn't been peaches and cream. All that to say is I I've done that daily 10 step inventory ever since. Uh and I yeah, I'm not perfect with it. You know, I'm, I, when I'm on vacation and on weekends, um I I tend to let it slide. But it it, it keeps me aware of of, of these you know, my my. You know, I told the story last night. Um, you know that our tenth step tells us that to first practice restraint. Okay, so anger. You know, what what came out for me when I became a parent was anger, and I'm I'm. It was the easiest for me to be angry with the people that are closest to me, my spouse and my kids. And I started hearing things coming out of my mouth that came out of my father's mouth, who once said to me, you're as worthless as our dog, as helpless as our dog. And um, I, didn't, I never said that to my kids, and I never have, you know, one of the things we had to, my second son is adopted, and one of the things we had to sign when we adopted this child is that we would not physically Hit, hit this person, hit this child. And um, because anytime I, you know, and I, I'm grateful for that, because the only time I ever felt like hitting one of them is when I was angry. And that's not a real good thing for me to do. And, and generally, I was angry because they did something that frightened me. I was reacting out of fear. They damaged something that would cost money to repair or whatever. And, you know, I, I've I, I've I heard this at a meeting, you know, if money can solve it, it's not a problem. If money can solve it, it's not a problem. So, you know, um, it's stuff, and stuff breaks. Uh, people have accidents, and stuff breaks. And uh, um, so, first practicing restraint. Um when I, I- you know i'm I'm getting some some um after doing this ten step thing and recognizing that fear drives my anger and drives my desire to retaliate um I can often pause and uh, i've got a I've got a book there in my uh it's unapproved literature but every every day one of the things I read are fifteen things you don't do when you're angry <laughs> and the first three are you don't talk, you don't stay, and you don't stare. So when I get angry, the first thing i do I try to do is shut my mouth. The next thing I try to do is vacate the area, because if I don't vacate the area, I will end up staring, you know, and get that look that I used to get from my dad that you know um, caused me a lot of difficulty. Lastly, I think, yeah. I've gone over. Okay. I just I just want to close with this. Um, there is an ancient spiritual practice. Uh, it started in the 12th century that describes personality types, and um, and it's used in in spiritual circles to identify the roadblocks to help you from being um, to help your fellow man. And, you know, if, if you've been in corporate America, you've probably done Myers-Briggs or whatever personality types. There, there are a bunch of them out there. But this one is an ancient one. It's, it's been around since the 12th century. And uh, it describes nine different personality tri- types. And, and so it turns out that not only is my, you know, my, my childhood a trigger and all the fearful stuff that happened there, but I'm driven by, my personality t- type is to be fearful. And, you know, the positive side of that is that, that um, I'm very loyal. You know, I'm a problem solver. Um, I'm skeptical of authority. So, you, you know, you have, I, you, I have to test you to make sure I can trust you. Um, so I'm not going to buy everything you tell me until you demonstrate that, and that's that's a pretty that's a pretty healthy thing quality to have about your life. Um, so not only am I uh, you know have been diagnosed with PTSD because of my childhood, um, and I thought that's where all the fear came from, but I'm I'm wired this way, and when I when when I think about the positive aspects of that, then it helps me overcome things that would uh, prevent me from being of use to my, uh, to my fellow. So I'll shut up. I've been talking long enough. Um, I, I see some questions coming, so we're at that point in the program. So let's bring them up, and we'll go from there. Thanks.
1: All right, so got a couple questions here so uh, um, can you hit on the connection between fear and anger <laughs> yeah um, yeah it's funny Dave was uh, as soon as Dave said, and I've got two kids, I was struck with fear <laughs> I have four kids, and uh, um Two boys that are that are twenty one, uh, a daughter who's eighteen, who's off at college, and a fifteen year old daughter at home, who knows how to push every single one of my buttons. Um, it's her job. She's participating in my spiritual growth. Yeah, uh, um, you know, it's funny that for me, somebody mentioned this person mentioned the uh, fear related to anger. Um, I I like to call it rage, um, and its chief activator is my fear. You know, and so if you think about you know walking one of my kids when they were little up to the corner where across the street, one of them starts to step out into the street, and you know we all know the typical response where we're yelling at the kid or what are you doing? You know, it's like all of this comes down to my fear. Of, of what's gonna happen, their safety, their, uh, yeah. And, you know, for me, if, if I don't acknowledge, if I don't deal with my fear, then what comes out of me is my rage, my attempts at control, uh, my attempts to manage the other person to make sure that I don't have to feel afraid. So, you know, I get, you know in in a relationship in particular with my family which is really the toughest place to do this i think um i get big i get emotionally big i get loud i get uh to where i'm gyrating and moving my arms and hands and apparently i have facial expressions too that it, that it, that convey fear to my wife and my children and um and so when I get to that place, you know, first of all, uh, my sponsor reminds me of this is the first step to to cognitive change is awareness. Now, I am very, very much more aware of the times that I am afraid, much better than I used to be, and uh, um, but that doesn't mean I have any power over it or that I can manage it. Um, you know the. The defects that I get to work on by applying the steps, uh, begin with just that awareness. Like, oh, dang, there it is again. I did it again. And, and I can shame myself and beat myself up because there it is again, right? Or I can go, wow, God, thank you. This time I was aware instead of being, uh, 34 years lag, now I'm at a one hour lag between recognizing what i was doing and when it happened um and the beautiful part is the defects that god has chosen to remove for me uh and you know it doesn't always happen with fear but is that the awareness comes just before i take the action and i get to go okay i like what dave said it's like i'm not gonna speak uh, I'm not going to stare, and I'm and I'm not going to stay, uh, because those are all part of it uh, for me. Is that I would first thing I would do would speak, and then I would get in your face, and then we'd have a stare down afterwards, and uh, and that was that's been pretty destructive. So um, yeah, uh, you know what? I'll just pass to you there. So.
2: Second question here, have you ever thought of doing the steps on character defects like fear, resentment, expectations, denial? Big Book of AA has a lot of points on doing the steps if we try it. And so, um, the way I, I use my tenth step is, uh, you know, something else that, that's suggested in, in, um, um, Step into Action is to do an annual review uh, with your, with your sponsors. So I take, and it's time for me to do that. Um, I, I take what I've written over the past year, um, and I look at, at those areas of, of lust, um, and of things that I didn't do so well, and I ask for feedback. And, and we develop a game plan, um, to address some of those things, um, you know, one of, one of the things uh, that I have struggled with a lot is you know feeling that I I was as good a parent as I could be with my with my kids, and um, so long ago he suggested that I do a um, so after I do my ten step every day I do a. Uh, twenty um, item gratitude list, and you know I'm an engineer, so um I've got it on a spreadsheet, <laughs> and uh, so after I do my after I do my ten step inventory, um, I do my gratitude list, and um, and then I've added to that some affirmations, um uh, that I'm a Beloved child of God, that I'm a role model for my sons, uh, that I'm a kind man, that I'm a good husband, and um, and that's really helped me. Um, it's 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 it's. it's uh, that's that's how I've worked the steps on these things. And, you know, um, the lust stuff, what, what really helps me there is, you know, sometimes I forget. You know, I, I notice somebody and, you know, I get an instant. You know, my brain is all over the place. And, um, you know, I get these... I get these thoughts that just come out of nowhere. That maybe from forty years ago, a picture that I saw, you know, it it, get, it got triggered somehow. I don't. I I think that maybe have something to do with PTSD. But well, for whatever reason, it, it comes and I've. Um, generally, I I'll jot those down on when I do my tenth step, and you know, when I make a phone call or when somebody calls me, I'm able to share it. I remember it. Um. I noticed I was, I work in a, in a corporate office headquarters, um, worldwide, or regional headquarters, um, a lot of young, attractive, uh, triggers for me. Uh, I worked on the eighth floor, uh, up until recently and I was getting on the elevator and I was noticing. And, you know, my, after noticing it in my inventory, I shared it with my sponsor and he said, are you willing to do something about it? And I said, sure. Uh, what a concept. And um, so I started, uh, uh, he said, well, start bookending. And I said, you know, I've been sober for 30 years. You want me to start bookending? But I did. And I started texting um, somebody in the program before I got out of my car. And then I texted them when I got to my desk. And I did that when I left. And I did that for about six months. And it became a habit, you know, it. When I get out of my car, you know, I I tell God, I'm going in. I'm going in. And when I, I don't work on the eighth floor anymore. I I go down the steps. So God took care of that for me. But I had to do something first before He took care of it. Okay. So anyway, um, that's that's how the steps have worked for me. What you do the next one?
1: All right. So here's another question. I usually get to 10 months sober and then slip. I often feel and relate better, but my fear is still there. I get insomnia, four to five hours of sleep a night. Is there a problem with my program, or does it just take time for the steps to work, or do I need to live with my fear? So I'll say a couple things to start with. I only got to keep digging as long as I want to keep digging. And uh, what I've found is that, you know, a slip or a relapse is is preceded by uh, my sense of independence or not needing God, i.e. I'm going to depend on finite self. Remember, there's plenty to be afraid of there. Um, I like to... I like to use my kids as an example here, because really inside, I'm like a little kid. Uh, But, um, you know, my kids, when they were little, would cry out at night or get up out of bed and say, there's something in my closet. There's something under my bed. It's going to eat me, right? And it's that fear. Now, we kind of laugh because it's in our mind, in our logical adult brains, we say that's not even logical, right? It's kind of silly. But you know, my my fears can seem kind of silly also when I say them out loud. But you know, my kids, I can show them, I can shine the light in the closet, I can turn on the light, I can tell them, I can logic and reason with them, and yet they're not okay. They're still afraid, um, and they're still going to come out the door. You know, ten minutes later, when I put them back to bed for the twelfth time, and. Uh, but but what I've found is that the way for them to go through it is that I go be with them. Okay? They're still afraid, but because I am with them, they are okay. Like, the fear isn't overwhelming. And the same thing happens with me with my higher power. Um, I have a higher power who, like, like Dave said, doesn't drop me. Uh, he's with me. And uh and my higher power, uh, because he is with me, I can be okay even in the middle of whatever it is that is scaring me. Um and I know that I won't be abandoned, I know that he won't leave me to fend for this on my own. And so ultimately any time that I come up against one of my defects, whether it be fear, because yeah, and I don't wanna say lust. Because lust is the band-aid for all that stuff that goes on inside of me. And, and when a sponsee calls me and says, Oh, I'm, I'm lusting, blah, blah, blah. I don't say, Well, what are you lusting after? I say, What's going on inside you? What's, what's going on in your world right now that you feel like you need to band-aid it with lust? And, um, and so as we, as we talk about those things, we always come to some conclusion. My sponsors always come to some conclusion with me of, what is, what is my point of surrender? What is, my, what is the action point? And, um, and really, I, I balk at surrender because I'm going to have to give up something that, uh, that seems to be providing life that really is killing me. Um, and in my previous career, uh, I was a part of military aviation, and uh, we did survival training that involved, uh, you know, if you eject from an aircraft, you come down in the water, you have a little one-man life raft. And during your training, they tell you that when the rescue helicopter comes, you're supposed to sink your life raft so that it doesn't get sucked up into the rotor and take down the helicopter that's coming to rescue you. Um, but... The truth about addicts is that we never say no to something unless we have something to say yes to. And the the survival instinct that grips every one of us with those natural instincts gone awry refuses to sink the life raft. So when they drop a rescue diver in the water with you as the the person being rescued, the first thing they do is they come over and they cut your life raft. Because otherwise you'll never let go of it even in all the logical, you know, rational parts of your brain you've trained, you'll never let go of it to get into the rescue basket to get carried away and saved. And so that's that's me. So until I've begun to develop that trust with my higher power, I don't let go of the fear because it seems familiar. And that's the choice put in front of me. Am I willing to surrender the control over the situation or or over whatever it is, in order for God to save me. So,
2: I, I lost the question here, um, and I, I see that we need to wrap up. So that there was a uh, question that came in from, from streaming that said, can you suggest some program, um, books, or literature that might help me with my fear? It's, it's, my, it's my chief character defect. And, you know, the best thing I have to, have to offer on that is my own experience, which was to continue to take personal inventory and, and um, be aware of how my fear um, manifests itself in my life. And, um, you know, there, I, there are some pathological reasons for my fear. You know, I, I talked about being diagnosed with PTSD uh, because of my childhood. Um, that may have something to do with it. So there might be something outside of this program that might be helpful. But uh, that would be my best advice is to con- continue to work on fear with your sponsor because, um, um, you know, that's how we get better. So, yeah, let me. Uh, Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the, of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our twelve steps and traditions. Uh, let's uh, let's join in a circle and close with the third step prayer.